for us this morning that I believe that God wants us to hear, that he has, he has placed in my spirit to begin to, uh, to, to share with you this morning. And so we're going to, to jump right in. You've got your Bible. We're continuing our series through the Gospel of Luke. And um, I'm, I'm excited about this series. I love how God is, is speaking and using the Word um, to speak to us. And I am thankful for all that God is doing in this house. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? A.W. Tozier, in his classic book, The Character on the Character of God, the book is called Knowledge of the Holy. A.W. Tozier says that what we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'll say that again. What we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Who is God? Who is God? What is God like? Who do we worship? As Christians, we should, and it should be obvious, that, that we believe that Jesus is the full revelation of God. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1, that all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Jesus. That's Colossians chapter 2. That Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of God, Hebrews 1.3. That Jesus is the image of God, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, that he is the God of the word, John chapter 1, verse 1. And that Jesus claimed to be equal to the Father in John chapter 14, verse 9. We worship, we are Christians, and we worship Jesus as God. We follow Christ Jesus. We have the sacred text of Scripture to bear witness. We have the testimonies of the saints. We have the Spirit leading us into the truth of Jesus. We have creation revealing the power of our God. We have the record of history to tell us about Jesus. History reveals his story. History reveals his story. So this morning, here's what we did this morning, church. We prayed that we would not have any distractions, and so what are we doing? I'm being completely distracted by my computer this morning, by my iPad, because it's not working correctly. And I don't think that's like a work event. Normally, I hit this little button. I'm just going to tell you, normally I hit this little, there it is. See, I just got to call out the enemy. Call it out. We don't have any power, any authority this morning. History reveals his story. Dr. Michael Greghorn, along with countless theologians and historians, I'm just going to give you some background this morning. Then I'm going to preach. I'm going to really need you to help me because I might run around and I'd like, I'd like to do that with your permission. historians have done work to show us the record of Jesus in history. Historian Edwin Yamaki calls, he says, probably the most important reference to Jesus outside the New Testament is this record from Roman historian Tacitus, right? He says this, Tacitus does, Nero fastened the guilt on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christians from who the name had its origin, Christus, 
from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of Pontius Pilate and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, but first the first source of evil, but even in Rome. We have this record from Rome, this historian, of an actual Jesus, an actual people who worshipped this Jesus, that they claimed that he was God, and they had this curious superstition, the Romans would say, about this Jesus that they worshipped. Another important source of history, of evidence, about Jesus in early Christianity can be found in the letters of Pliny the Younger. He was Emperor Trajan. He was a Roman governor in Asia Minor. And, and he says this. He says that these people were in a habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it, after which it was their custom to separate and then re reassemble to partake of food, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. So this reference by Pliny the Younger, he says that these Christians would get together and they would worship this this man, this person named Christ, and they worshiped him as if he were God. And they bound themselves to an oath and they wouldn't do any wicked deeds. I wish that this was the record of the church today, right? That when people write about the church that they write about things like this. I wish this was our testimony, right? They wouldn't perform any wicked deeds. They wouldn't commit any fraud. They wouldn't commit theft or adultery. They would never falsify their word. They would never deny a trust. And they would teach and they would separate. Then they would come again and they would partake of some kind of food. Most likely a reference to communion. Another remarkable reference to Jesus outside of the Bible can be found in the writings of the his Jewish historian Josephus. He writes in, in his book, uh, Jewish Antiquities, he, he mentions Jesus in two separate occasions in his book, in his historical record. He mentions twice. The, the once is, is describing a combination or, or condemnation of, of James by the Jewish Sanhedrin, the brother of Jesus who they called the Christ. Then he mentions again in another portion what's called the Testimonium Clevenium. He says, about this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought call him a man. For he wrought surprising feats. He was the Christ. And when Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared restored to life, and the tribe of Christians has not disappeared. Now there are some there is some debate about how much of that portion of Jewish antiquities was written by Josephus. But there is no debate that in both 
Christians, he is referring to Jesus the Christ, the one that the Christians worshipped as God, that Jesus was a real person who walked the real streets of Jerusalem and Israel and was crucified by Rome because of the Jewish leaders. Even in the Babylonian Talmud, writings that were Jewish rabbinical, rabbinical writings that were written compiled between 80, 70, and, and, and 500, mentions Jesus by name. It says this, on the eve of Passover, Yeshua, that would be Jesus, was hanged. For 40 days before the execution took place, a herald cried, he is going forth to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy. He healed people and he proclaimed to be God. Jewish leaders would have said that is sorcery and blasphemy. There is record in history of Jesus. We have all of this evidence from history, from the contemporaries of Jesus and the earliest followers of Jesus, of the historicity of Jesus, that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and that his followers believed that he was raised from the dead and that Jesus is God. His followers believed it, history records it, and we are inheritors of this truth. We worship this same Jesus. We believe the testimony of the apostles. We believe that Jesus is the promised one to the Hebrews and to the world. We believe that Jesus is fully God, that all of God rested and dwelt in Jesus. That Jesus was conceived supernaturally by the working of the Holy Spirit, moving upon a virgin named Mary. That Jesus was sinless, that Jesus worked miracles, that Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom of God, that Jesus demonstrated the good news of the kingdom of God, and that Jesus died at the hands of religious leaders, that Jesus became our sin, that Jesus fulfilled the prophets and the law, that he was placed in a borrowed tomb, that he was raised to life on the third day, that he defeated hell, death, and the grave, that Jesus appeared to his followers, and that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead and to establish his eternal King of kings and Lord of lords, we believe in Jesus. But what about, what about one of the most influential public religious leaders and figures of the day? There was a man who had incredible influence religious folks of Jesus' day, a man who had tremendous influence, and it was influence that was, that was not, not, not endorsed by the religious authorities. It was, he was a religious leader and influencer not endorsed by the Pharisees and by the Sanhedrin. He was a public theologian, this man. He was a preacher of repentance. He was a man who challenged the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. He was a, a prophet, 
disciples, he was a baptizer of this man. People would come to him and he would take them into the Jordan and he would baptize them in the Jordan River. He was a man who said he wasn't worthy to even loose the sandals of Jesus. See, this man did not claim to be the Messiah himself, but said he was looking for the Messiah. And there comes a moment in Jesus' public ministry where this man wants to know for certain, is Jesus the one? Is Jesus this promised Messiah? Is Jesus this promised Christ? He wants to know for sure. This, this man had danced in the womb of his mother Elizabeth when his preborn cousin Jesus in the womb of Mary walked into that room. This John, the baptizer, baptized Jesus and he wants to know for certain, is Jesus the chosen one of God? So John the baptizer sends his disciples to Jesus to find out. seven starting at verse 18 we see this story unfold thusly then John's disciples told him about all these things so John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord asking are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else and so when the men reached Jesus they said to him John the Baptist sent us to ask you are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else let's track with this this morning john's disciples john's disciples had heard of his miracles john's disciples had heard of these teachings they had seen the reports of this miracle worker this new teacher they were hearing murmurs and rumors and, and rumblings that jesus he might be the one they're, they're seeing these and the Sadducees perplexed and angered by this Jesus. And so they tell this, they send this report to John. They say, hey, John, listen, John, could this man be, could Jesus be the one? What should we do, John? So John sends them to Jesus to find out, are you the one or should we expect someone else? Should we expect someone else? There is hope in that question and there is Is he the one or do we have to keep waiting? 
question they go to him. What is said in your mind? That thought in your mind that you have, did you say? And they go to Jesus. And they ask Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus answers them. But what will Jesus say? How will Jesus respond? What will Jesus do? And before Jesus says anything, before Jesus opens up his mouth to respond to them, he shows them something. Before he says anything, he shows them. Before he proclaims the mystery of heaven, he demonstrates the kingdom of heaven. That same hour, immediately in that moment, he does something. Luke 7, 21. At that time, in that hour, after they asked him, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. I just have this image in my mind, church, of these disciples of John coming to Jesus and saying, are you the one or should we expect another one? And I just see this image of Jesus, of Jesus hearing the question and not responding because Jesus was super good at leaving people guessing and watching and waiting and trying to peek in and see what's he doing now. I just have this image of, of Jesus in my mind immediately looking around for someone sick just so he can heal them. I have this picture in my mind of Jesus immediately discerning evil spirits just so he can cast them out. I have this image of Jesus just performing miracle after miracle after miracle of the blind seeing and of the lame walking and of the demonized being delivered. I just have this image of Jesus in my mind moving from person to person to person performing miracle after miracle after miracle. It's almost like Jesus, who needs healing? Who needs deliverance? Who needs restoration? Who, who needs forgiveness? Who needs me to touch you? Who needs something from God today? I just have this image of Jesus not answering John's disciples with words, but answering John's disciples with action. I have this picture of Jesus running around almost from person to person and from house to house and from street corner to street corner. It's all in full view. It's all open. It's all in the public. It's intentional. And everyone sees Jesus performing these miracles. This is how Jesus answers the question. Before Jesus answered with words, he answered with in church. The world is not interested in our words until they see our actions. The world is not interested in our truth and the truth until they see how it us, until they see in us how it can set them free. If it hasn't set us free, why should they believe it can set them free? If we aren't walking in forgiveness and grace and mercy, if we aren't walking in newness of life, why should they put their faith in a God that doesn't do what he said he would do? But what God wants to do is God wants to do it in us so the world will see and believe and be transformed. The world 
interested in our truth until they see love and mercy and freedom and transformation in us. Let's take a cue from Jesus. Let's demonstrate the power of God to the world. Let's demonstrate the miracle of God to the world. Let this church be a place of freedom and healing and transformation and mercy and love and power so that those who need to hear the word can believe the word is powerful and able to accomplish what we preach it can do. Jesus demonstrates who he is before he proclaims who he is. We are a Pentecostal church. What does that mean? It does not mean we have snakes in the back. And there could be snakes in the woods, but they don't belong to this body. We, we're not going out there and breaking them in. transformation that God has for his people. And we'll say, do I have to have the Holy Spirit? Do I have to have the Holy Spirit to get to heaven? I need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart, okay? We are a Pentecostal people. We believe that God longs to pour out the Spirit demonstrates who he is before he proclaims who he is. His miracles are meant to testify to his authority. His miracles are meant to prepare them to believe. Jesus, Jesus, let this house, Jesus, let this house be a house where miracles confirm the word, where deliverance confirms the word, where transformation confirms the word.
blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Jesus says to John's disciples, now that you have seen my authority, go tell John. Jesus' miracles were a testimony to his authority. There are some in this room that you have received physical healing, miraculous healing. And I can testify in my family, and I've testified in this congregation before, of the miracles of God in my family of healing me. Some of you in this room this morning, you can testify to healing miracles that God has wrought in your family. And you can also testify that you know what? Even though I didn't receive the physical healing that I longed for, God gave me grace and mercy and power and strength to keep going and to keep trusting and to keep believing. He gave me a peace when I had no peace, and he gave me strength when I was weak, and he lifted me up. Y'all ain't helping me this morning. Jesus says to John's disciples, now that you've seen my authority, go tell John. Jesus' miracles were a testimony to his authority. They testified to the truth of who he was. What Isaiah prophesied would happen is happening. Jesus is demonstrating that he is the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah and the other prophets such as Micah, Daniel. That when Jesus, a few chapters earlier, several weeks ago, that when Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah chapter 61, that day in the synagogue, when he said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me, that the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to heal the sick, Jesus was saying to John's disciples that, that day, just as I preached it and proclaimed it that day in the synagogue and said the scripture was fulfilled in me, not only have I demonstrated, have I spoken it, but now I am demonstrating it. I am telling you by my actions, I am showing you by my actions that what was spoken of me is fulfilled in me. That Jesus was the word made flesh, that he was the flesh and blood promised word, that he was and is the chosen one. And we this morning, we have the choice, just like John's disciples had the choice, to receive or to reject the redemption of God. disciples return to John and they tell him all about what they have seen, what they've heard, and then Jesus turns his attention to the crowd. The way Jesus answered John's disciples was by performing miracles and saying, go tell him, I have the authority to tell him. But then Jesus turns to the crowd, verse 24. There was this crowd that had gathered because of all of these miracles that Jesus was doing. Verse 24, after John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one whom about it is written, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you 
and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when the, all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by them, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. To what then should I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament or a dirge, but you didn't weep. For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking, you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her children. Jesus is contrasting his ministry with John's ministry. He is not discounting John's ministry. He's pointing out that John had taken this Nazarite vow. That John was had gone above and beyond even what the teachers of the law had gone in their zeal for God. That he had taken this vow that he would not be defiled with by cutting his hair or by eating certain things or drinking a strong drink. Jesus did not take that vow. He's contrasting their ministry. John takes this vow and lives like this man. You call him crazy. You say that he's a madman. You say that he even is beyond that. That he has a demon. You look at me and you say he's a drunkard and a glutton. John preached a hard message. Jesus was chastising a wicked generation that refuses to believe no matter what signs he shows. John was dressed in camel hair and ate locusts and wild honey. John called people to repentance. Jesus baptized folks in water. He didn't look like the wealthy. He didn't act like a ruler. He didn't live in luxury. He just loved God and he just preached repentance. He prepared the way for Jesus' ministry. He fulfilled the role prophesied by Malachi. And Jesus gives honor to John and John's ministry. But then Jesus emphasizes the superiority of the kingdom of God. He contrasts heavenly greatness with earthly greatness. John was great because he had prepared the way for the Messiah. Now the Messiah and his kingdom are here, offering an even greater ministry of righteousness. And Jesus flips the script here. He elevates the followers of the kingdom of God above even John. And Jesus says, if you reject John, you'll reject Jesus. And you have rejected the purpose of God. God's plan of salvation. Jesus is God's plan for all What John was announcing and John's baptism was announcing this new era. 
celebration and proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. And Jesus said, there are some who will reject the message no matter how it's delivered because they're rejecting the He says these religious leaders are actually rejecting healing here is hope here is deliverance here is peace here is freedom from addiction here is salvation here is he here is jesus here or do we have to wait for another to you this morning i would say you do not have to wait for another you do not have to wait for another jesus is the
Christ.